Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Banking has historically been an industry founded by men, run by men, with products created for men. Recently, progress has been made, but the gender bias in banking still runs deep. Surprisingly, this same bias exists in fintech, where there are far fewer fintech founders who are female and too few women working at these new startups. The question is, is this a supply or demand issue? More importantly, how do we address these imbalances that continue to impact the funding mechanism, the ability to get new ideas heard, and the potential for innovations geared to females? We are joined today by Neha Mehta, founder of Femtech Partners, a consulting company based out of Singapore, helping fintech startups get a foothold in Asia and promoting women in fintech. On the show, Neha discusses some of the challenges women face in getting an equal opportunity for funding, having a seat at the management table, working at startups, and the ability to create solutions geared to the female market. So welcome to the show, Neha. I have to be honest with you. While I feel I have a pretty good exposure to the issues and people in the financial services marketplace, your name wasn't familiar to me until recently when I started to see your name on several platforms for the work you've done in promoting gender equity in financial services and especially fintech. But you are far from a newcomer in this space. In fact, as I see, you received a national award in 2018 for your contribution to the empowerment of women. You also are the founder of an Asian Women in Payments Network and have worked to deploy blockchain technology for financial inclusion globally. To say the least, I'm honored to have you on the show today and have the ability to discuss a somewhat ignored problem in fintech, gender inequity. Why don't we start with the basics? Could you provide our audience with a bit of a personal background on what you and Femtech Partners is hoping to achieve? Thanks, Jim, for having me on the show. Very happy to be on the show. And as I said, I'm, I'm extremely uh, delighted that I'm making a debut on a podcast show with you. So uh, extremely happy with it. I'm a lawyer by training and grew up in, in India. I'm extremely happy with the fact that I started my career in Singapore. So I was exposed to a society, an environment where I had a level playing field. So I never felt out of place. I was working in the financial sector as a lawyer, and I felt very happy and safe. Uh, this is how Singapore makes you feel. Uh, whereas when I was coming to Delhi every now and then to spend time with my family, I was always um, catching up with friends and listening stories about how they have to face discrimination at workplace especially the issues around equal pay. And it just so happened that after working in Singapore for five, six years, I was uh, forced to move back to India for personal reasons. And I did face that similar issue. And I realized that if I don't bring change in my lifetime, then I'm missing out on an opportunity. So the good calling and the, the inner calling happened somewhere in, in 2019 when I set up Femtech Partners. The mission has been to help women have a career in fintech. We are operating in six countries in the ASEAN market. We work very closely with the UK government. We are actually part of the Prosperity Fund, where we are helping the, the, the financial regulators in developing markets to have sustainable and inclusive financial options for financial inclusion for women and youth. 
So I'm very happy that I work in a space which has a social purpose. And at the same time, I'm able to give it back to the society because I come from Delhi and I have seen the, the disparity firsthand. So if I'm able to bring change and motivate uh, young minds, I would feel that I have achieved something in my lifespan. <laughs> That's very admirable, but it's an uphill challenge, as you know. A recent study found that less than 30% of the fintech workforce is female, and only 17% of senior fintech roles are held by women. Is this an issue of too little supply or not enough demand? Well, it's a chicken and egg situation, Jim. I think the figures that you shared are definitely alarming. And if I were to add something to what you just said, only 2% of VC funding goes to women entrepreneurs. I'm happy that I was given the opportunity of starting in Singapore and my company set up there. But if I were you know, living in India, I'm pretty sure I would have been married at the age of 24 and having kids and not having the right opportunity to discover my passion. So I think it's also got to do with what kind of upbringing you have. And at the same time, you don't see a lot of women having a career in STEM. They don't really take the training at a young age because we also have these cliched notion that STEM is a career that belongs to men. Mathematics and science are not something that actually goes to women. So I think we need to fight all these uh, stereotypical notions. And um, at the same time, we as women don't really have the habit of asking for more. So I have been a judge in competitions where women are pitching their startup. They don't really ask for a huge set of money. And it is oftentimes seen that women provide higher rate of interest ROI on the work that they're doing compared to a male entrepreneur. But yet they are very happy to make do with whatever is provided to them. So I think it's about time that we raise our voice, we ask for more, and we fight for equality. Well, it's interesting. And you mentioned it, as bad as it is from a workforce and leadership perspective, when Deloitte recently looked at the founders of fintech companies, they found only 12% of fintech firms were founded or co-founded by females, with so only 3% having an all-female founding team. Is this an issue of less innovation being done by females or fewer female-led firms receiving funds? or both. What's interesting is we've always known there's been a problem in banking. It's, it's gotten better, but it looks like it, it's a really big challenge in the fintech world as well. Yeah, you're right, Jim. I was in Bangladesh last year on a field visit. We were trying to figure out how women access capital. And I figured from, you know, so many meetings with the women farmers and also small entrepreneurs run by women, I understood that women are averse of risk even if they have a brilliant idea, they will keep sitting on it. They don't really want to take the plunge. And uh, there are a lot of uh, societal uh, fears and pressure as well. I think we as women are fighting a battle more than men have to, especially in an Asian context. I remember when I was working in Europe, I could see that uh, the work culture was very welcoming for women, especially after they have taken the mommy track, they're coming back to work. It's a lot more easier for them to get back on track, have a professional career going for them. Whereas when you're in Asia, you know, setting up your own venture is not that easy because uh, I, I read somewhere that in 2019, 67% of top earning men had a stay-at-home spouse. And the same figure for women were just about 22%. 
So it's definitely something that I think has to do with the fact that women are not taking enough risk, even if they have innovative ideas. They are actually not having the right set of skill sets sometimes, or they don't lack the conviction to do so. And if you talk about the banking sector, I think their banking insurance are also fighting legacy issues. We have seen that City Group has got a new CEO and she's been making news because it's the first time in the history that Citibank has got a female CEO. So I think things are changing, but it will take some time because we also need to have female mentors to whom we can look up to. Because if we don't see them as role models, it's very hard for us to imagine ourselves doing that. And we were just talking about the US elections, right? So we have this amazing woman who is creating a new history. So I think there we are with this kind of example for more uh, young women to aspire. I always worry about making my generalizations because I'm a male, so I, I don't know what it's like. But is there a challenge where males tend to be much more aggressive in self-promotion than females do. And that's a credit to the females. But does that hurt sometimes where a woman maybe doesn't become as aggressive in promoting herself, promoting your ideas? Um, as you mentioned, after having a family, sometimes when you get back in the workforce, there's the mentality that, oh my gosh, did the world pass me by while I was out? I mean, men don't have this issue. They don't leave the workforce in most cases. And I'm wondering, is, is some of this having to do with the dynamics of the way women address the marketplace and, and the challenges of raising a family? Yeah, it has a lot to do with that fact. And also men tend to have boys club. Jim, I have a question for you. How often, forget the COVID times, in 2019, how often were you going out and hanging out with your buddies, talking about your podcast being the top five podcasts in the world? <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, you see it on Twitter, you see it on LinkedIn, you, you see it in the influencer list. I mentioned to you before we get on the air that you know, we get challenged sometimes the fact that why are there so many men that are the fintech influencers? Well, I'm not too sure if we're better. I think sometimes it's because we play the game a little bit more aggressively. And I'm not saying that's good. And there's never a balancing act. I, I work with a lot of females and I, I talk to them often and there's a great number of females, but we see it when we're talking about bringing equality to events before COVID as well, that sometimes finding the same number of participants is more of a challenge when you're looking for a woman to be on the equality side. And again, it is not an issue of them not being good. It's just they're not out there as much. And that's, again, as you said early, a chicken and the egg thing, you know, that's why the financial brand forum, my partner, Jeffrey Pilcher, has made it a point through the years to make sure that half of his participants are female. He goes, it sometimes takes a little bit more work, but it makes the program better. We get a much better rating on the female speakers than we do on the male speakers. And, and so it's worth the effort. You know, I'm wondering also, you referenced it earlier, Another challenge is that the funding of women-funded fintech firms was 50% less than the startups founded only by men. And interestingly, founding teams with both men and women averaged just 3% less. So is there an underlying reason why having a woman involved drops the funding level down so much? 
When we are talking about women, we have to bear in mind that we are talking about world's 50% point of view. So if you're not including women in the workforce or as a speaker at an event or having them as attendee for a conference, we are not really able to have the other perspective of the society. So it's very important that we have them in big numbers. And sometimes as women, we find it difficult to sell ourselves. Uh, and I think I did give an example before on that. You know, I, it also occurs to me that sometimes when I'm looking at a job description, the JD, the terms used there are very mature. So only a guy can relate to that job. And a woman will not even feel like applying for it, you know. So it's very important that when we are structuring uh, the organization, we've got to keep all these little things in mind to have the flexible working arrangements and to be a mentor, a good boss, to provide the safe environment for women to come back after, let's say, having a family or deciding to change uh, their career and joining a fintech. But to be specific to your question, I would say that women definitely have a problem in terms of coming up with the right pitch sometimes and asking for more money, even though they know that they would require the X amount, they will always ask for X minus 20%. But besides that, what I have seen is that there are not enough VCs in the room. So I have had experiences where women told me that uh, they would post questions uh, such as, oh, so what's going to happen to your venture once you get married? What's going to happen to your venture once you have a family? A male colleague will never get that question. So it is very strange that as a woman, you are forced to answer these questions while you're there to pitch for your business. So I think this definitely requires a mind shift and at the same time, resilience on part of women to be thick skinned. So I always take pride in the fact that I come from India, a country where I had to see uh, gender inequality from day one. And for me, it's very easy to get pushed away in a, in a public transport or I'm, I'm going to used to uh, getting no's. For, so for me, a no is an opportunity to try again harder and uh, just not give up. So I think my key message to women would be to just try harder because a no doesn't really mean a no. You can knock on many doors and it's a number game. So the more you try, the more are the chances of winning this game. The gender related issues that we're talking about, are these more regional or are they global in nature? Are they in every region or is there more in some regions than others? I think there's no statistics to show how it goes actually uh, country-wise, but definitely I have a sense that it's far better, let's say, in, in Europe and the US compared to Asia. And when we talk about Asia, it's very different from, let's say, a country like Singapore versus Bangladesh, because a developing market would have their own set of challenges. And they say 70% of India lives in its villages. So of course, it's far different in India. So every country would have their own set of challenges and opportunities. And there's no fit for all kind of solutions. So I think when we are talking about this problem, it's important that we also have an ecosystem approach because uh, it is not something that can be done by one individual. So even when we are working uh, within our own capacity, we try to work with the regulators, we try to work on the field with the beneficiaries, because we truly believe that to be a game changer or a change agent, we have to pull all possible strings and create a far deeper impact. In the Deloitte study, we found out that unfortunately, the pandemic, as we are well aware, has not created a better environment for fintech. But even worse, it has not created a better environment for femtech either. According to Deloitte, in the first six months of 2020, 
female-led startups raised around $875 million in funding across 20 startups, compared to $3.5 billion in the first half of 2019 across 56 startups. On the other hand, men's startups, while not doing as well in 2019, fared much better as a percentage than their female counterparts. Are we maybe missing an opportunity here in a COVID environment with women actually probably having a better way of dealing with the juggling of responsibility and everything? Should we in some way, shape or form be doing better in the female sector with uh, fintech opportunities during the COVID and and post-COVID environment? I think, Jim, you made a very interesting point. And what I'm getting to see, uh, the conversations I had with my colleagues in different parts of the world, is the fact that the line between personal and professional is getting very blurry. And as a woman, you have overwhelming responsibilities because when you're at home, you have to take care of the kids and you being the first go-to person uh, when it comes to kids' care and needs for the family, it's very difficult to say no and get back to work and be able to focus. What I've also seen is the fact that only those businesses will thrive and go forward who have been able to take their business model from offline to online. So we are very lucky that we are having this conversation right now, though we are miles apart, but not a lot of SME owners are able to do that. So I think when we're talking about the fintech landscape, especially how it's going to pan out for women, I think we also need to focus on issues like how women-led businesses can go and explore e-commerce, e-payments, and to be able to go on digital channels. So I think that aspect is certainly lacking. With respect to the funding, I think you're absolutely right that women are not able to tap into these opportunities. I think when the pandemic started, most of us were very hopeful that it's going to be a brilliant opportunity for women because now they can do everything by sitting at home and they can be actually aiming for more and exploring more. But it has turned out the other way. I have seen a lot of women dropping out of their careers and they are not feeling motivated enough to go out and pitch for the business. So it's yet to be seen what are the exact reasons. But to my mind, it seems like it's getting very difficult to juggle between the personal and professional life. And then the fact that, you know, when we're talking about the VC funding, the trend is that it's going in very specific sectors. So I'm not sure if there are enough women in those sectors, because even in fintech, you see a lot of funding going towards insurance or micro credit or for for that matter, in the educational e-learning sector, right? Because this is where the future lies, uh, because everything's going to be online. And these are the some of the sectors within fintech, like payments, remittances, which are getting a far more funding than other sectors. We talked a lot about the challenges. What are some of the ways we can address the issue of gender diversity in fintech? And are the strategies different for a banking firm than a fintech firm? Because the challenges still exist in the banking area. But what are the best ways to address this need for gender diversity? I feel that banking and the financial sector are are pretty aligned. They work hand in hand because when we talk about the ASEAN market, we are talking about the 10 countries with 650 million population, but only 27% people being banked. And even those who are actually having formal access to banking system, this 27%, uh, it's only a fraction of women who are able to have access to these formal banking systems. So we definitely need to keep in mind that women have special needs. So if we can 
have gender-specific financial products. That's a good start. And for us to do that, we need to understand how a women's psyche works. We need to have wealth managers who are women who can relate back to the financial products team and ask them to create such products. At the same time, if I'm a women entrepreneur and I'm trying to raise money, I don't really have any collateral to give because the land is in the name of my husband. So what do I do? So not having a collateral is also a big issue because uh, only 20% of women worldwide have land access. They are property owners. So if I don't really have collateral, how will I get started with my business? And at the same time, if we are able to provide, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a safe working environment, ensure equal pay, have opportunities where your seniors, your peers are out there to listen to you and they're giving you an environment where you feel motivated, you feel that you belong there and you actually want to go above and beyond to achieve more for yourself. And at the same time, I think having a career in fintech is far more easier. I know in the beginning I did say that there is a deeper partnership happening between the banks and the fintech. Actually, 76% of fintech startups have some sort of collaboration with banks in the ASEAN region, yet having a career in fintech is far more easier because a, a fintech could be more agile. It's a smaller team. You can get along with the founders and you can get started. If I talk about femtech partners, 90% of our staff is female. And I haven't done that on purpose. It's just that I enjoy working with women more. I don't want to come across as someone who's very feminism uh, oriented. But at the same time, I think it's exciting to have female-led staff and at the same time, I think when we're talking about fintechs and encouraging women, let's not just do lip service and do it because, you know, it's, it's part of the diversity and inclusion aspect and it's cool to hire women. It's just for the namesake. Do it for the right reasons. Hire the talent because they actually have the talent, not to check any boxes there. I think banks definitely have um, a quota when it comes to women hiring. In Singapore, the Singapore General Exchange, SGX, has got 20% limit for listed companies to have female board members, and they are still at 15%. So there is a gap, but there's also an opportunity because whenever you talk about a problem, you also talk about the solution in the same breath. So I think the exciting part is that if all of us are able to help young women go for STEM career from early on, and then at the same time, encourage our female colleagues to come forward, represent the company, let them take the limelight, let them be scared, yet overcome the fear. I think then we all have a greater chance of having an equal world. You know, you referenced it a little bit. Without a diversity of thinking within fintech firms or a greater representation of female-led fintech organizations, we're missing the opportunity to better understand the unmet needs of women in the marketplace, aren't we? I mean, we, we kind of missed the product development issues. As you mentioned, women have different dynamics, different goals, different needs. My friend Ron Shevlin did a report for Axiom on the potential for building better service for female customer. And he found a tremendous gap between the creation and employment of services targeted to the female marketplace. So is this a gap that's without the female fintech owner or the female fintech leader within fintech organizations? Are we missing a lot of unmet needs of the marketplace? 
I would think so, yeah, Jim, because um, I, would, I would again give an example from my Bangladesh trip. I remember chatting with women and every now and then this issue was cropping up where women said that there is a smartphone in the house, but it is operated by the husband or the son or the brother. And I, I was trying to understand why a male uh, member of the family is dominating the handset. Uh, and I was given to understand that it's because women are scared that they will press a button, something will go wrong. Maybe they will send money to someone where they're, where they're not supposed to be sending that money. So basically, they're very scared of using technology. So I think that is the starting point, because if we are able to understand the mindset, if we know that these are the women who are scared of technology, if we can help them upskill, provide them the right skill set, the tool sets, they would be definitely able to shine because these are the women who are, you know, managing the family, working on the farm, and then at the same time, making more than the husband in the farm, but not telling him about this because they want to maintain the family dynamics. They want the man to feel that he's far more superior than the women in the house. He's earning more and he has the right to show his pride. So I think as women, we can multitask. We can definitely uh, play the dynamics really well. We are emotionally far more intelligent than men. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> but No, no uh, argument is- here. <laughs> no argument here. <laughs> yeah, to your point, I, I think it, there's also an issue of empathy. Empathy really allows an opening of minds. And, you know, it is my belief that women are much more empathetic than men, can see things from other people's perspectives better than men. Now, that may be putting labels on people, but I, I think that also provides a tremendous opportunity as you're developing new products, improving products. We don't talk about it very much because we usually think of the income dynamic in a financial inclusion perspective. But really, we have a gender issue. You, you've already referenced how different it is in, in other countries with regard to the female role in the financial household. It's very different, as you said, in the UK and the US. But we have global issues with regard to meeting the needs of what is, in effect, 50% of the population. And I think uh, that's not going to change anytime in the future. I'm sorry if I'm bursting the myth there, but it's going to go like this for some time. And I think with COVID pandemic, uh, we have gone far more behind than what we thought we would actually. I, I strongly believe that we should always put the focus on the solution because of course there could be tons of problems and being an eternal optimist, I believe in focusing on the solution. And I see this as a market gap. So if you talk about India, 90% of the gold is actually kept with the women. So they are holding a very important asset. Most of the times, husbands give their salary to the women, to the wife. So definitely, if we are able to capture that market, because women are just missing that gap of financial literacy, of that knowledge and empowerment, if they have that aspect going for them, then there's no stopping, right? And I think we are seeing this increasingly with a lot of fintechs because a lot of fintech players are now able to disperse loans to women entrepreneurs, just like the way you shop on Amazon. It's just a matter of seconds. And with that happening, it's getting far more easier for women entrepreneurs to start their business and also get financial knowledge in their own regional language. 
So let's say everything is in English and all the audios and the cartoon characters that you see is not something that you can relate to. But now more and more fintechs are actually having this local cartoon. They're customizing those solutions in the local language. And we are definitely seeing women coming forward and taking up the opportunity. So there's no dearth of talent, innovation. It's just a matter of time and having hope that, you know, we are on the right track. So if these kind of conversations keep happening, Jim, if you're having more women coming on your podcast and talking about this, I think we are definitely having a great dialogue going and we will be inspiring a lot of uh, young female talent. It's been great having you on the show today, Niha. How do people get a hold of you if they, number one, may want to fund some fintech organizations that are led by females or if they're an organization that needs funding? If you were to find me, you can definitely Google Neha Mehta, Femtech Partners. I would be more than happy to talk about the ventures that we are capturing right now in the ASEAN market. Uh, These ventures are focusing on women entrepreneurs and their upliftment. So if you want to support the world's 50% point of view, you should definitely think of hiring a female candidate in your organization and supporting a female-led business. So I would definitely be very happy to speak to anyone who's keen to understand the dynamics of fintech, especially with women in ASEAN region. Thank you, Jim. In return, and you referenced in the last comment you made, I'm sitting here going, geez, I know I have worked hard to get as many female guests as possible, but maybe not hard enough. So I'm going to make a commitment today that our show is going to double down on getting female guests. And I know my team's going to hold me to it and see if I can't get uh, very close, if not over 50% of my guests being females. We're going to cover this going forward and I'll, I'll reach out to you again. But thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you, Jim. And I will make sure I chase you down if that commitment is not met because we follow each other on Twitter. So I would continue doing that. (laughs) I love it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. Cheers. So it was really great to have a conversation with Neha Mehta. I think what was most revealing is this is the challenge the banking industry has had since time started. And it didn't go away because of better technology. We continue to have this challenge. We have got to go out of our way to see what's out there because I think the biggest gap is really in not getting the solutions built for the female marketplace. And there's a lot of very distinct and unique solutions that need to be built. And also as a reflection, I I will take it upon myself to live by what I say, and I will find more female guests in 2021 and the end of 2020. Thanks for listening to Banking Transformed, rated as a top five banking podcast. I genuinely appreciate the support you have provided since we started this endeavor. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to Banking Transformed on your favorite podcast app. In addition, please take 30 to 45 seconds to show some love in the form of a review. It means the world to me and to the team that I work with. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research we're doing on digital transformation, the future of work in banking, retail banking innovation, and the changing dynamics of financial marketing for the digital banking report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, continue to expand your horizon and follow your passion.
the Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.